one of the most memorable moments in this particular interview for the Tech Emergence podcast is when our guests mentioned, Larry Page hired me to solve intelligence. Very few people can say that, and it says a little something uh, about the guest that we had on the podcast for this week, as well as the gravity of his present work. Dr. Nando DeFritis is currently a senior staff research scientist at Google and is also a professor at Oxford. His own PhD is from the University of Cambridge, and he's focused on general intelligence. Today, we speak with Nando about a topic that he's very well known for over the internet, as well as in his research at Google itself, which is deep learning. We talk about uh, Nando's perspective on the basics of what deep learning is, as well as its application in conversational interfaces, in addition to recognizing images and video, what the future of those technologies might look like as things develop. Certainly somebody with a little bit of a far-seeing vision as to where deep learning can take us and a lot of resources to experiment therein. Uh, I hope that you all will enjoy this one uh, with Nando DeFridas here at the Tech Emerges Podcast. I know we're going to get into, uh, Nando, I know we're going to dive into uh, talking a little bit about dialogue systems, a little bit about video. I know you're doing a lot of work there. All this is hinging on deep learning, which uh, you're well known for. Your YouTube channel uh, covers a decent amount of concepts in AI and deep learning. Um, how do you articulate what deep learning is um, to people who didn't academically study that domain? How do you explain why this matters and what, what, how it's different from other approaches? Okay, so deep learning is an approach that uh, was um, influenced by neuroscience and it sort of, it sort of started taking off uh, from some results um, that neuroscientists found. For example, they found that neurons would respond to particular stimuli, and in particular, if your neuron saw um, something like a, a vertical stripe, it would fire, and if it's uh, if it saw a horizontal stripe, it wouldn't fire. Um, and so, trying inspired by these biological networks, uh, we tried to build networks um, that would be able to recognize different types of things. Um, now, you should think of these networks as um, networks with many little units, um, just like the neurons, just like the brain, where you have billions of these units, they're all connected, and those connections can be learned. Um, so if you give this network data, it will automatically change those connections to learn patterns that describe the data. We call those patterns features. Um, and those features are useful to solve different tasks. So you might learn features that allow you to recognize an apple and understand what an apple is, or you might recognize features that allow you to predict uh, which stocks you think are going to be more lucrative over the next uh, five years. Got it. And, and the rough um, biological analogy here, again, being that uh, the kind of processing that we do in our brains is this sort of broad parallel processing that GPUs are becoming more popular now. Maybe people uh, assume that maybe that's a little bit more indicative of what, what computation looks like upstairs uh, in, in terms of in our, in our own skulls. Um, and is that's right. So indeed, this approach took off around 2012. So academics had all been working on this. But in 2012, there was this publication of um, a paper that actually was submitted to a competition. It was a neural network, uh, we call it a convolutional neural network, it's a specialized type of neural network for um, understanding images. Um, and this network is very much inspired by another network called the Cognitron, 
which was modeled exactly to model the visual system in cats or uh, which is similar to uh, I guess humans. Mammals, yeah. Um, and um, in 2012, at this competition, this network did substantially, hugely better than anything that existed. And then everyone took notice because people had been for decades trying to engineer systems capable of understanding objects. Um, but on this huge data set that the computer vision people prepared called ImageNet, this network completely outclassed all the other networks. And that was the first year. Since then, the results just keep getting better and better to the point of matching human performance. In fact, doing a little bit better than human performance nowadays. So we might start uh, doing something what we call overfitting. So we might models becoming yeah. a bit too optimistic. And what enabled this was a confluence of those two factors of the big data became available um, and GPUs. Um, the, the idea that we now have these massive computational uh, distributed resources um, completely changed the field. Um, in parallel, the same models, and this is what's interesting about deep learning, you can take the same model and you can apply it to a completely different type of data like speech, and then it also took off. Then it sort of completely outclassed the existing speech recognition systems. So instead of having different communities of people um, engineering systems for their own field, all you needed was to design just the one thing, that convolutional network, and you could take this network to any of these fields, and you could just let the data tune the connections of the neurons. So you automatically come up with a solution that outperforms the existing engineering solutions. Since then, there's been a lot of software development on how to create richer models. And so nowadays, um, the way we do this is we create little modules, sort of neural network modules, um, and these neural network modules, provided that you design their interface well, you can add them to these huge libraries of modules. And so playing with deep learning is pretty much like playing with Lego. You can grab all these modules or these Lego pieces and you can build things. And once you've built one thing, if you're happy with it and you think people might like it, you can actually take this thing and you can submit it itself as a module. So modules can be composed oh, yeah, of yeah. many other modules recursively. Mm. And you can submit these modules. And now you have a community of thousands of people working with these models. So this revolution in software has is, is leading to the, all these vast advances across all sorts of areas. Because essentially you have, you have thousands of people working with the same software, contributing to the same libraries, reusing code. And once you compose, you can compose modules that are networks that are, have completely arbitrary structure. They have memory systems, different types of memory systems. They have attention, they can attend to things. Like for example, you could have a memory that is the Wikipedia. And you could have a network that does question answering. And then when you phrase a question, it uses sort of language modules to understand um, the patterns of the question, it then goes to the, to the to a knowledge graph or to Wikipedia, it finds uh, backup facts to produce an answer, and then it uses another network to output an answer. So it's trying to answer your question by sort of reusing data that might exist on the web um, automatically. And, and it might even 
If you do this thing called reinforcement learning, where the agents also learn to act upon the world, you might even start um, understanding um, causality, you know, what things are, um, what things imply other things. What is the direction of causation in some statements? Uh, what are contradictions that you might find on the web? Um, and so on. Hmm. And uh, it's interesting you mentioned kind of the, the modular nature now of, of, um, of how deep learning is sort of progressing that there, you know, has been discovered now. And that, that paper just out of curiosity, the 2012, was that Hinton per chance or who was that? Whose paper? Yeah, that was Alex Krzyzewski, oh. uh, the main author, and that was, that was with Jeff Hinton. Jeff Hinton as well, yeah. And of course, all these guys are getting scooped up. Like everybody except for Bengio is, you know, out of university now. And um, <laughs> um, that's right. There's still quite a few. In a <laughs> well, some of them stick around. At least a couple. <laughs> um, but uh, but yes, of course that that's that in many regards sparked what we have uh, going on today. But it sounds as though you know we've found kind of this computational constituent of what learning kind of is. And now these are being able to be trained for particular purposes, finding out sort of what what happens to work best with this kind of information or problem. What happens to work best with this, and then connecting all these blocks. Um, of course, the, the ramifications are very far. Your own research is quite broad in terms of intelligence in general. A um, couple areas where you've done some, uh, some research in terms of focus, um, one of them is uh, in dialogue systems. Um, systems where a conversation between you know, maybe a computer agent and a person or maybe between two agents uh, can be held. Right now, we don't think of Siri as a very good conversational partner, per se. Um, but uh, there's progress to maybe move us closer to that. How are we going to get past where Syria is now with deep learning? I think one of the things, I mean, the ingredients are always the same. Uh, bigger models, more computation, <laughs> um, more data, um, more people, because the more ingenious people we have trying to craft solutions, um, the better. And, and I think you know, if you look at these workshops these days, there's like 3,000 people in every conference doing deep learning. And just by sheer magnitude numbers of people working on this, uh, so many smart people, this, we're going to solve all, a lot of these problems. Um, speech will keep on getting better just by scaling, um, I think. Uh, with dialogue, um, th there are some, um, this is very new. Um, very recent over the last few years, we're learning how to interact um, these recurrent networks that do input-output speech with databases so that whatever they say is grounded on fact, is grounded on some database, uh, factors in, implied by that database. Um, and, and so we're going to see a lot more of that and I think that's more or less where the technology is going so that when you talk to an agent, it will be able to sort of back up the answer with um, a lot of facts that exist on the web and will know which facts to use to back up an answer. And this grounding is also essential for common sense understanding because when you talk to it and you ask um, some question like, um, what would be a good grounding question? Um, something that involves you know, something that most people would know based on your context where you are in a yeah, coffee yeah, shop, yeah. what you mean, but for a neural net, for, you know, for, for, for a neural network, like where's the bathroom? Mean, where is the bathroom? <laughs> yeah, where's the bathroom? It, yeah, that's sort of, it should know where you are, your context, yep. and should give you uh, directions based on that. 
So being able to get a, that information out of you and be able to do the sort of to ground the conversation on the real world or ground the conversation if you're looking for fact finding on the web, ground the, the conversation on the web or a medical database, you know, you might want it to give you an opinion on a patient based on a lot of med, past medical records and so on. And that's, that's interesting too, because I know that this, um, you know, common sense, I forget the name of the project now, it escapes me. This happened in a, a previous interview as well, but the folks are working away on um, building the big model of common sense. Who, who are those people? I forget. But regardless, th there's been a big project in that domain of, of sort of housing and encoding and encapsulating. I forget if it's been 15, 20 years um, of trying to uh, grasp sort of common sense. Is it going to be with, you know, Wikipedia and machine learning? Is it going to be with sort of hard coding something? How, how does the common sense nut get cracked? Are we just going to pull from enough inf internet information to come up with a good enough consensus about what's probably right? We're going to have to have sensors out in the real world. Um, how, do we, how do we get to common sense? I think it's coming from everywhere at this point in time. I mean, <laughs> it's coming from specialized, um, like Joel Pinot in Montreal, for example, is, is using um, Unix uh, conversations, you know, like when people ask questions about Unix and they provide it with answers, she's using those forums to decide um, how to automatically answer questions of, uh, to, you know, people asking questions about Unix or how to automatically provide advice. Um, others are looking at more general facts and they're looking at this sort of reasoning um, who was the president of the yeah, United yeah, States yeah, yeah, that was yeah, yeah. born in a state that didn't vote for Obama and whatever in yeah, his yeah. first uh, the first time he was elected president? Um, so there's a lot of that going on right now, and then of course we also have um, agents who are actually in like especially um, at DeepMind we have these agents that are embedded in environments, and as they are in the environments they sort of they they start forming episodic memories, so they remember uh, what they've done before and mm -hmm. so on. And so when they um, start interacting with other agents, trying to communicate and so on, that will be based on their own experiences in that virtual world. So they are grounded in that particular virtual world. And even in that, in that, uh, you know, um, in our conversations with Siri, Siri doesn't have fantastic recollection of our conversation five minutes ago or five days ago. Uh, and it might be if I say, you know, um, home, you know, that, that I don't, you know, or, or another term, it may be quite obvious based on our past conversations what I'm talking about. If I say Steve, I might have 18 Steves in my phone, but I've been talking about the same Steve for the last five days straight. And you know it's about this Steve, right. but Siri is right. not going to draw that out. So you're saying that maybe that episodic memory, if we can pull that into dialogue, exactly. would be able to be a little bit more human. Yeah, um, our, our real agents already have that in their virtual world, and we need to sort of bring this into, the, into yeah. these uh, internet agents. So okay. they know they know your location, they know what you've been talking about, they start developing a common history with you that, that enables them to understand your bet. It's fascinating all the, all the work that's overlapping with um, what we know about intelligence from the neuro and the psych space. And it's, it's interesting to see how these two are marrying, how we're having to reassess the heuristics uh, of humans. And, and how those are influencing what we're what we're building in our in our machines. Um, as a cognitive science guy, it's just fascinating to see sort of the the, the loop de loop there. Um, and yeah, I and my team actually we have people from uh, I can imagine neuroscience, yeah. cognitive science, psychology, computer scientists, physicists. We're all working together. On That's this. cool.
and we need it, right? We need a, a we need a uh, that many perspectives to kind of tap what intelligence really is, because it's not an easy nut to crack. Um, so I, I hope that Siri can bring some context to conversations in the in the coming years or other other uh, innovations from from folks like Google. Another domain where some of your research is, and I know there's a lot of people kind of cracking away on this at one extent or another, is in understanding uh, video um, for for a machine to look at. Uh, road signs and know what's a stop sign, what's a 30 mile an hour sign. There's a lot of work there and, and you know, better recognition than people. Um, video now obviously is, is becoming more and more important. I think at some point, you know, the Twitters and Facebooks and um, uh, periscopes of the world will want to, someone will be able to type in who's live streaming about judo in the Olympics. Mm -hmm. And they'll want to Boom, right away. No one, it doesn't end and no one tags it. It just, we know that this is judo, it's streaming now. There's obviously a million more applications there. Um, how are we working away at understanding uh, what is in a video? You know, you mentioned the ingredients. We're going to need more data. We're going to need to pump more video through these machines. We're going to need more computation. Um, is that essentially what, what we're having to work on now? And then finding ways to test that, I guess, would be tough. You say, okay, machine, we have 400 videos going on right now. Which one is about NASCAR? Okay, which one's about Princess Diana? Which one's about Proust? Um, you know, and, and have it pick out and then you know score it right or wrong. How are those innovations progressing forward? So um, I think with video, one of the big challenges is scaling. Not so much of the data because the data is there. There's so much video being produced. YouTube. Um, but the the real uh, we still have we still need to figure out what the best models are for video. This, this is an active research area. Many people are working on this. Um, and scaling is still um, a challenge. Uh, scaling the models to be large enough to be able to manipulate video. Although I think getting being more ingenious on the deep learning side is what's um, going to save us. Um, so in terms of video, there are uh, the things you mentioned. Um, so in terms of media applications, um, the users are huge. Um, but of course, we're also looking at uh, things like how to generate video automatically, have networks that dream video. Yeah. Um, currently, the networks, are st we're starting to see them dreaming images and so on. Um, and if you had correlation over time, so you could imagine how you could have these networks generating video. Um, I think the dream is that eventually one day we'll be able to generate Whatever you, uh, want, yeah. whatever you want, and that has <laughs> yeah. all sorts of implications. Yeah, you can uh, imagine it, how it sure this does. will vastly change the world of entertainment and and beyond. Yeah, and beyond. Yeah, much further beyond. So there is that aspect, but we're also trying to understand what's in a video. I mean, that's obviously we all we have to say is car driving and accidents. I mean, if you if you can completely sort out. Um, depth and whether there's a pedestrian or whether that white cloud is not a cloud but it's a truck, um, that sort of thing, it can save lives. I mean, about yeah. 100,000 people or so die per year, I think. Well, no, it's much more. 1.2 million, I think, is the figure of people who die in accidents per year globally. It's in Wikipedia. Hmm. In the US, it's about 40,000 people are dying per year. That's the sad thing is yeah. that most of them are pedestrians. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so yeah. don't think that by not driving a car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right, right. Um, Avoid roads. So I mean, driving is a very dangerous business. I mean, it is. Um, I don't want to compare it to other fatalities that have happened in the world and the huge, yeah, uh, you know, actions that we've taken. I mean, 
but that might be one application. Understanding video, if it can be done well enough, right. could or if robots are manipulating yep. things, you know, like in manufacturing, so much manufacturing requires video. In fact, most of what humans do requires video, um, <laughs> and, and then for no reason, for that reason, a third of our brain is dedicated to understanding. Huge, video. yeah. Like Everybody that's knows. most of what we we're video machines, basically. Yep. And, um, and so if we want to um, get to a point where we want to at least focus on replacing those jobs for uh, people, for folks who are doing things that are completely menial, like they, they might be just reading postcodes and deciding on which bin to put the letter next. And that's the sort of thing that a machine should be doing and hopefully those folks can pursue something much more creative. Yeah, indeed. Um, as a very a very last note, you had said something sort of in passing. You, you had said that um, developments in deep learning will maybe be the way that will sort of make that progression. You said I think that'll be what saves us or something. How, how do you mean that in terms of understanding video? What what within deep learning sort of itself do we need to to knock away at to 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 see that progress? Is it is it just more refined models at scale? Is it yeah? How, I how think do we, how do we layperson explain yeah. that? I think, I mean, video in a sense is no different than images. Um, and already a lot of our models are working with video. So yeah, it's, yeah, video yeah. is not the future, Vid, video is the present. Yeah. Um, all the games, um, like for all, all our agents that are playing um, Atari or 3D games or are doing control, they're all working with video. Yeah. The robots that we already have many applications um, of, um, they all sort of operate mm -hmm using video as the input, the, um, the self-driving cars use video. So this is something that's happening. Most videos on the web have been tagged. We know yep, what, yep, we yep. Know what objects good. exist in yeah. the videos. You have titles, we know you see, have, yep. um, you know, uh, actors and so on. Um, so this is happening right now. So I think the models will be uh, refined further. There'll be more applications. But neural networks are already widely being applied to video in all sorts of applications, uh, from YouTube to uh, robotics um, to games. So that farther future then might be more of the um, generated video or even generated 3D environments might be sort of a step beyond just comprehending video, the actual creation thereof, as we're seeing with images. Maybe that's a little bit farther down the future. Yeah, the creation of videos um, further into the future Indeed. and in, in particular we would like to create videos that uh, you, you would like to control part of your dreams and have, have this control dream where you can imagine specific things and you can imagine how to move them around and so on and you would like to control them because imagine if you're an art director and you're trying to create a movie yeah you want to you know have some control you want to use a script to generate the movie basically yeah. Well, I, I can't wait for that day, Nando. Yeah, I'll be able, I'll be able <laughs> we'll to get say. some uh, interesting I talked to that Nando fellow who thought that up one time. So anyway, hey, on that note, Nando, thanks so much for the interview. It's great speaking Thank to you today. Well, that wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives, top researchers, and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes 
or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in and I'll catch you next week.